everybody from Holy Trinity. It's Pastor Tim once again back in the sanctuary. And you should have just seen a clip from uh, a great movie, Empire Strikes Back, uh, the second of the Star Wars movies that was made, although it's number five in the trilogy. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, and the clip that you saw was Luke and Darth Vader. Luke, after he had his hand cut off in the lightsaber fight with Darth Vader, he's now backed out onto this plank, holding on to this whatever it is in the middle of this huge uh, hole, I guess you could say, this big tube in the middle of the space station. Um, and Darth Vader had just told him, Luke, I'm your father. And so we heard the reaction of no that's impossible and then he lets go and he flails so i'm going to come back to why i showed you that clip in just a minute but i want to talk about these parables uh first or get into talking about the parables because in the scripture reading we had for today we had five parables parable of the mustard seed uh parable of the yeast or the leaven parable of the hidden treasure parable of the fine pearl, and parable of the net being tossed out into the sea. Now, frequently, in when these parables are preached, and I've done it before also, I'm not saying it's wrong, uh, but I think it misses the full scope. Frequently, when we preach on these parables, or we read these parables, we come to see them almost as moral lessons. What I mean by that, and I'll just use um, these first two as an example, the parable and the yeast. Uh, the parable of the mustard seed in the East. The mustard seed, it's this tiny little seed that grows up to do big things, right? You can almost remember the Veggie Tale songs, little guys can do big things too. I'm big, he's little, right? And he's referring to King David slaying the, Goliath, uh, the giant Goliath. And we take this mustard seed to think along those same lines. It's don't give up, even though you're, you're tiny, you don't have much, you can do great things. And there is some truth to that, so I don't want to diminish it. And we do the same thing with the parable of the yeast. A little bit of yeast infects the entire dough or in the entire flour. No place is not affected by when you mix in the yeast and you mix it all up, right? It takes this flour that normally wouldn't have done anything by itself and this reaction between the two. And now when you make bread, this bread rises. And so as Christians, we're called out to, uh, if you want to use the word, infect the world. So everything is touched by us and nothing is left the same and things grow because of our action in the world. And again, there's some truth to it, but I think that is kind of moralizing these parables and it doesn't give the full meaning or the full effect by what I think they're all really trying to do as opposed to moralize our faith. These parables are helping us to transform the way we see our faith that it's not just about me doing a specific action when I leave, but rather it is about the overall view I have about the way in which the world works currently, the way in which we wish it would continue to work, and the way in which God's kingdom comes in and is working to transform it, to help it function in an entirely different way. And it's helping us to see, you might say, the upside downness of God's kingdom. You're almost like when we've had that pyramid before. I'm going to go back to this again, the pyramid of the food pyramid. Humans were atop 
uh, uh, right? Like we ruled everything and what has God come along and he turns that upside down and we are not consumers, but we're supposed to be producers. And so that changing of that pyramid from top to bottom helps us see, transform and see who we are in reality, in God's reality. And these parables go to function the same way, to help us see how we should be functioning in these big general ways. That as Luke is, when Luke hears the truth in that clip from Empire Strikes Back, no, that's impossible. I think frequently we react the same way if we really hear what they are trying to tell us. And again, we lose so much because this was written down almost 2,000 years ago. And so we need a bit more of the context, here's that word again, if we want to get the full impact of what these parables are going to have on us. And they should, at some level, make us scream, no, that's impossible. That's not what I want it to be. Help me cling to this other way of life that I want to have. And our faith should be more like that. That's why I love that quote that was just on uh, beforehand on that image before as we're worshiping from Dallas Willard. The kingdom of God is more about, is not about life after you die, but more about life before you die. And these parables are getting, trying to get us to realize the radicalness, the radical nature, even the scandalous nature of what the kingdom of heaven is really like, not later on that we hope to go to if we make the right decisions when we die, rather what the kingdom of heaven looks like right now among us. So let's start off with that first parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Not so much about uh, little guys can do big things too, but rather, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is found in what you're trying to potentially maybe get rid of. It's not found in the biggest, in the mightiest, in the strongest. The redwood, right, the redwood kind of tree that would have been around back then, the strong cedars. But instead, it's found in a seed that you might plant as opposed to mustard being a weed at that time that you're trying to pull up after it's grown. Can you imagine the people hearing this for the first time and they hear the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed? Not just a mustard plant, a mustard seed. So you almost have to plant it. They'd be thinking, why would you want to plant this thing? You want to get rid of it. You are ridiculous by even starting to compare the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I was reading a... Um, uh, a, a book, right? I, I forget what kind of book it was. Um, but anyways, it's talking about, uh, can you imagine the kingdom of heaven is like crabgrass or the kingdom of heaven is like a dandelion? We wouldn't want that. We want the kingdom of heaven is like a beautiful individual rose. A kingdom of heaven is like uh, a lavender bush with its beautiful, sweet aroma that filters through the air. But God doesn't use those, Jesus isn't using those kind of analogies to write this parable. He's getting people to think differently. 
Think about God's kingdom in ways in which you had dismissed it before. You've made judgments on what God's kingdom looks like. And Jesus is coming to say, get rid of those judgments and look again. And if we are honest with ourselves, we have done the same thing. We think God's kingdom looks like and we oftentimes associate that with power, with wealth, right? This is what it means to live the good life. And yet, God comes among us and says, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like something you would have dismissed. This mustard seed that you think has little value and yet provides the basic resources for things around us. The mustard seed grows. And it's not that it grows and turns into a cedar. It's not that it becomes the big and the mighty. It remains what it is. And yet, what it is, is what is needed to provide homes for the birds and nests, for the animals, to find shelter within it. It doesn't have to become the big and mighty. It just needs to be what it is and see that there is value in it. Have we dismissed things in this world because they are not what we imagine it should be and we, so we say it has no value? Instead, how is our line of thinking changing to see God working in new ways. Parable of the mustard seed. This is an interesting one coming up now, the parable of the yeast. Traditionally it is, right? Uh, the yeast is added to the flour, it's kneaded in, it spreads, and the whole thing is infected by it, right? So again, how as Christians, how are we spreading and infecting the world with Christianity, with God, with Jesus? What's interesting is I was just reading about this too, commentary. The commentary I was reading, it's a kind of book, I knew it would come back to me eventually. The commentary was saying yeast was used to describe corruption. It was, in when it was used in an analogy, it wasn't used as a good thing. It was used to, to describe corruption. So here we have a parable. Can you imagine the people hearing this parable? The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who adds corruption a little bit of corruption to this flower, to what is going to be needed. This little bit. And it's not that she needs it in, right? Doesn't that she works the dough, but it's hidden. In the King James Version, in the Revised Standard Version, they use the word to hide or hidden as opposed to needing it or mixing it in. It's kind of secretive without it. It's not this big, grand, glorious thing that functions, but instead, as Christians, maybe we need to learn to be a bit more subtle. Go about, our do, go about doing our work and trusting it will spread. Right? Not just, hey, look at me, look at me. You know, Jesus actually calls that out earlier on in Matthew's gospel. Don't be like the hypocrites who stand out on the corner saying their prayers, ripping their clothes and saying, oh, you know, uh, I'm fasting. So they disfigure their faces. Rather, do the work we're called to do and trust it will spread, that it will be contagious. Right? 
a different way of thinking about things. It's changing the way we view our role as Christians in the world. And then we have the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the fine pearls. They're doing ridiculous things that they shouldn't be doing. Can you imagine going and selling everything you have to buy this field to have this treasure? Selling everything that you have, all your home, your possessions, whatever it might be, to buy this pearl. Because once you have this pearl, once you have this treasure, what now? What do you do for food? What do you do for your home? What do you do for providing if you have a family or if you have servants at that time? What do you do? You've just given it all away. Not given it all. We've just traded it all for this one thing. And now the responsibilities that you have, you can't do because you have this one thing. So if you want to fulfill those responsibilities, what do you have to do with this? I have to sell it to be able to do those things again. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, both of these parables. The person is doing something that they shouldn't be doing, that they're so enraptured with this object, that they're willing to do the ridiculousness that people are looking down upon to pursue something. Are we able to do the ridiculous because we are so enraptured by the love of God revealed to us in Christ, are we willing to do what the rest of the world says? You're crazy. You shouldn't be doing that. That doesn't make sense. That's not the way the world works. Are we able to see things differently, to be transformed? Because again, this last one, this last parable, the fish in the net, it's very similar to last week, the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Just cast out your net. Who are you to judge? Right? The, the people cast out their net, they bring in their fish, and then other people are the ones that sort it. That's not our job is to sort the good from the bad. We'll probably get that wrong if we say, hey, this fish is good, this fish is bad. That's not our job. We have one job. Cast the net. God will do the sorting. We don't do that. And some of these things are so much against our nature. All of it. We want to judge. We want to accumulate. We want to, to be the strong and the mighty, the cedar tree. I don't want to be the mustard seed or the dandelion or the crabgrass. The world doesn't see value in it. But yet, God's kingdom, right? Theology of glory versus theology of cross. We've talked about things. Theology of glory calls an evil thing good and a good thing evil. Theology of cross calls a thing what it is. Let's be what we were made to be, which is going to be so different. In fact, Matthew's gospel is so littered with all of these things that are different than what they originally uh, than the way people originally wanted things to work. Gospel of Matthew is continually telling people God functions differently. And I think these parables are a way to drive that, those points home that God functions differently. Remember, blessed are the poor or poor in spirit. And we can use a different word for blessed. I like saying God is close to. God is close 
to those who are poor in, poor in spirit. God is close to those who mourn. God is close to those who hunger and thirst. As opposed to, they must be living right because look at all the good things they got. We've all heard that phrase or said that phrase, I must be doing something right because everything's working out. Somebody up there likes me. God's world functions differently. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. Remember, Jesus talks to the rich young ruler. I've done all these things. Sells what you have and give it to the poor. God is continually changing our view of the world and said God works differently. Love those, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. These are things that we are called to do. These parables are helping us to see God functions differently because I need to see that because I don't want to love my enemies or pray for those people who persecute me. They're my enemies for a reason. I don't love them. <laughs> and God calls us to view things differently. That's what these parables do. To, to transform the way we think. And that's really hard. I don't want to transform the way I think. I want to keep it the same. I want to take in things that reinforce my opinion so I can feel better about myself to say that I've already got it right. And again, people of faith, we should be able to name that, push it aside and say, God, Help me learn what I need to learn. And that most important thing is that we need to learn is God loves you unconditionally. So it's okay if you thought one thing before and now you're learning to think something else and you're changing your mind. That's not called being wrong. That's called growth. Right? That's not called losing faith. That's called being better. As Christians, that's our goal, not to, to have it right, but to try and try again to get it right, which means we recognize that we didn't have it right before. These parables are helping us to see the way we viewed things, the way things were viewed then, the way we view things now, are not the way God wants us to view things. God comes and turns our world upside down. Who you are is not, your worth is not based on your accomplishments, according to God. So you can stop trying so hard to impress people. You can stop trying so hard to impress yourself when you look in the mirror. You can simply look in the mirror and say, God loves me. You can simply look at somebody and say, God loves them. And then we can look at the world together and say, let's try to love. Amen.